He has such a grasp on the full humanity of Jesus, and he has such a grasp on the power of Jesus that both of them just come through right beside one another. So if we were to think about Mark's gospel, we could describe it as compact, energetic, and vivid. Compact, energetic, and vivid. Mark's gospel moves at the speed of, of light. The, the word immediately, euthus in, in the Greek, shows up 42 times. The rest of the New Testament put together shows up 12 times. So over and over and over, Mark's going to say, immediately, immediately, or the King James has straight away, straight away, immediately, immediately, immediately. Mark's gospel is just moving at the speed of light. So many of the sentences start with the word and. Just take a, I'll just start from chapter 1, verse, verse 12. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. And then, uh, well, verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him and going on a little farther. And it goes on for that, uh, in that way for 16 chapters. So Mark is writing, he's moving the story along as fast as he can move it along. And oftentimes there are things that Mark will, will omit. He will leave out. And there's reasons for that. And here's what I'm going to suggest. Mark, like all the biblical writers, knows his audience. And he's writing to his audience. His audience are Roman Christians. Roman Christians. We've talked about the Roman culture before. And we've talked about what's important to the Roman culture. The Roman culture could give a fig about philosophical writings like Socrates and Aristotle. Right? That was the Greek world. They could give a fig about that. The Romans could give a fig about genealogies and who begat who and who begat who and who begat who. That was the Hebrew world. You know what the Romans cared about? They cared about power and action and organization. That's what was important to the Romans. Who was most powerful, who could defeat the biggest army, who had the best government organized. That's what they cared, they, they cared about. And so Mark is in a, under a mission here to illustrate Jesus as a man of action, as a man who knows where he's going, as a man who's moving this story along at the speed of light. That's what he's trying to portray to the Romans. He's writing to them. Remember the, the four Gospels, the four perspectives? He's writing to a group of people who, quite frankly, would not appreciate a long genealogy. They would say, who cares? Because... The Roman Caesar was not a hereditary line. They didn't care who was Julius Caesar's father and who was his father and his grandfather and his grandfather. They, they, that's not what interested them. Nor did they care about the philosophical arguments that John presents or the parables so much. Instead, what they cared about was the Jesus of action. That's what spoke to them. This man who was powerful, this man from whom the demons ran, this man who touched lepers and they were cleansed, this man 
who just exuded the power of the Son of God. That's what spoke to them. And so that's what Mark is focused upon giving to the Romans. So he's definitely writing to a Roman audience, and he's writing in such a way that would interest them. And in so doing, he's going to omit things that would slow the story down for the Romans, because the the Romans were not known as great readers and great thinkers. The Romans were known as great doers and great builders and great fighters and great accomplishers. The Greeks, they were the readers. But the Romans, Mark doesn't want to give them a gospel that's 30 chapters long because that's not their cultural background. That's not what is going to draw them into the story. So Mark certainly... He writes these 15 and a half chapters, these 16 chapters. That's certainly not because that's all the material that he had. Remember, he is writing down Peter's experiences. Nobody had more experiences with Jesus than Peter. Peter was the inside man. And so Mark has no shortage of material he could write down. Neither does Mark have any trouble remembering it. I mean, this is Peter. He remembers all of this. But instead, Mark is choosing to write what's going to move his story along in such a way that's going to appeal to the Romans in in this way. So likewise, Mark's gospel is going to be a gospel of action, a a gospel of moving, of movement. And in so doing, it's also a gospel of vividness. Mark, again and again and again, we'll call attention to this as we go, again and again, he is going to give us some sort of vivid detail that none of the other gospel writers will give us. Just one example, we could look at a hundred different examples, but just one example of this, Mark chapter 3 and verse 5, the words that are italicized are the words that only Mark tells us. This is in all the gospel accounts, but only Mark tells us of this. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. Only Mark tells us that. And so again and again, he's going to have these vivid, true-to-life kind of details that make the story just pop, that tell us just some little aspect, like like Mark will say, and they sat down, or Mark will say, and there were two of them, or Mark will say, and they walked by the seashore. Just some little detail that makes the story just real and vibrant and alive and just pop off the page at us, because that's what Mark is trying to do. Likewise, Mark is going to present to us a gospel that shows Jesus as both fully human and fully divine, like all the gospels do. Jesus has this dual nature. He's fully human. He's fully God. All the gospels present Jesus in the same way in that regard. However, the other gospels do not present him as, let me say it this way, with that much of a focus on his humanity and that much of a focus on his power. That's Mark's perspective right there. He wants us to see Jesus who is more human than the other Gospels. It's not like he's in competition and I'm going to outdo them. What he's doing, he's saying, I'm going to show them the full humanity of Jesus. Mark wants his portrayal of Jesus to come across as vibrantly human. Human in living color. And so Mark's gospel is going to be the one that tells us more than any of the others about the humanness of Jesus, about his anger or his sadness or when he was grieved or when he was tired or when he was hungry. 
Likewise, Mark's gospel is also going to focus more intently on the power of Jesus. Because remember, that's what appeals to the Roman mind. Power, strength. And so Mark will tell us more vividly than any other gospel of the power of Jesus speaking to a storm or the power of Jesus as the demons cowered in fear as he stood before them. But then what Mark is really going to do, he's going to take both of those perceptions of Jesus, the full humanness of Jesus, the full power of Jesus, and he's often going to just put them right beside one another with absolutely no tension whatsoever. Let me just show a couple of examples of how he's going to do this. Chapter 3, verse 9 through 11. So this is the context in which Jesus here, he's teaching and the crowds are growing strong. And so he's going to get into the boat. So look how Mark tells this story. Verse 9, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. That sounds like a really human thing right there. To be concerned that the crowd is going to crush me. Reminds me of the, the whole South Korean disaster a few weeks ago, right? How crowds can be mismanaged and they can crush people. So Jesus says, get a boat ready for me so that the crowd won't crush me. That sounds very, very human. But look at what happens immediately after that. And he healed many so that they all had diseases. All who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And wherever, whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, you are the son of God. One breath ago, Jesus was concerned about being crushed by the crowd. Now the unclean spirits tremble in fear and confess, you are the son of God. You see how Mark puts utter humanity right beside the power of the son of God without any tension whatsoever. Or look at the next example, chapter 4, verse 38. This is the instance of the, the storm in which Jesus speaks to the storm. But Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. That... The, the inability to stay awake, so tired you can't stay awake. That is utterly human. He's in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and said to him, teacher, are you not, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. The wind ceased and there was a great calm. You see that? One, one instant, Jesus is too sleepy to stay awake and they got to wake him up. The next instant, He's speaking to a weather pattern. And the weather pattern immediately obeys him. That is fascinating how the mind of Mark, the vividness of Mark, he has such a grasp on the full humanity of Jesus. And he has such a grasp on the power of Jesus that both of them just come through right beside one another. We're going to marvel at that as we go through his gospel. So Mark's gospel here is the gospel of the failure that's restored, but it's also the gospel of the power to the persecuted. Power to the persecuted. So I mentioned a few minutes ago about the situation in the world in which Mark writes this gospel. He writes it probably 63 or 64, and the, the, the worst persecution to date had just begun. The Roman Christians were cowering in fear because, quite frankly, they were killing them by the dozens. And they weren't killing them in pretty ways either. They were making them to be toys for lions and garden lamps. And here's this church in Rome 
And you can just imagine the people that are part of that church at the fear that's just electrifying through, through those Christians there as they know people that have been murdered and they have family members that have been murdered or tortured. And so you can just imagine the fear. What do they need to hear? They need to hear, your master has all power. Your master possesses all power. Your master possesses power over nature. Your master possesses power over sickness. He possesses power over the demonic. He possesses all power. And furthermore, your master who possesses all power is also the one who restores the one who has failed. Because among these Christians, they're cowering in their homes and cowering in the back alleys during this intense period of persecution. Rest assured that not all of them stood firm. Rest assured that many of them denied their master to save their life. So that's what they needed to hear. They needed to hear there's forgiveness. There's restitution. There's restoring. You thought you would stand firm. You thought you thought you would stand firm. And then you looked through the bars of that cage at the lion. And you didn't. There's grace. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Truth That Transforms with pastor and Bible teacher Jason Wilkerson. Truth That Transforms is the daily teaching broadcast of Disciples Fellowship Church. We invite you to visit our website where you will find more resources to help in your journey of discipleship. You can find us at www.disciplesfellowshipnc.com or connect with our Facebook page at Facebook slash Disciples Fellowship NC. Truth That Transforms exists to glorify Jesus Christ through the teaching of His sanctifying and disciple-making Word.